We're reading from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Well, then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Eliamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of God. Yeah, you may be seated. Thank you, Barbie. You know, you're probably wondering, you know, like maybe you're interested in, in reading, joining us. We'd love to have others come and, and read the word of God in the morning. But I'm sure Barbie's like, man, you gave me the, the day when you asked me to pronounce like 12 different people, tribes, and tongues. And so thank you for stepping into that. That was fantastic. Hey, this morning, let me begin by asking you a question. And this, this question is going to maybe seem a little repetitive. Do you like to be asked questions? <laughs> I, I, I actually maybe, like many of you, enjoy being asked a, a good question. 
uh, if someone actually wants to ask me something that shows that they are, they're curious, that they have a desire to know something that I know, or they have a desire to know something about me. And I, I just appreciate being uh, pursued or, or asked questions and, you know, learned about in that way. And, but when I was thinking about questions this week, I, I was reminded that there are a group of you that probably do not like questions right now. Those are the parents of three-year-olds. I remember when my kids were all about three years old and they all went through the, the questioning stage when they would ask the, the what questions, the where questions, the how questions, the when questions, and, the, and like the worst, like the why questions, and where eventually they stopped asking the questions, they just continued to ask the question like, why, why, why? And they, they weren't doing it to be annoying, although they were annoying, they, they were doing it in order to to understand, right? They were doing it to try to give themselves context. They were, context. They were doing it to try to figure out how do I live and, and operate in this world. And, and maybe deep down, they were asking all of these questions to determine meaning. And I think for us, like we could continue to actually learn from our, our children in some ways, um, even in these days, just as, as Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless you change, become like the little children, you will never enter the, the kingdom of heaven. In fact, in, in a passage like what we read this morning, I think there's many of us that, that would approach a passage like this feeling both uh, excited and confused, both amazed and perplexed, both astonished and bewildered all at the same time. And then asking that question in the back of our mind when we're reading a passage like this, like, what does this mean? And that's what we're going to try to get to today. But before we do, let me just pray, uh, pause a moment and and pray this morning before we dive in. Loving Father, thank you for sending us your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the, he is the Word of God made flesh. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is our rabbi and our ruler. Thank you, Father, for sending us the Holy Spirit, who inspired the Scriptures and who inspires us now in their hearing and who indwells us now with power to obey them. Teach us today the word of God by the spirit of God, that we might become, that it might become fulfilled in our lives together as your church, for our good, for others' gain, and for your glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now this morning, as we jump into chapter 2 of Acts, and for those of you that are maybe visiting and haven't been here for the last few weeks, we're, we're starting this new series. We're going to make our way through the, the book of Acts starting two weeks ago and ending sometime in 2027. I don't know how long it's going to take. It could be a while, but probably sometime next year. But to be honest, when I came to this passage, I was a little bit overwhelmed. There's so much that can be and maybe should be said when it comes to the Holy Spirit, when it comes to Pentecost, when it comes to this moment in, in the life of the body of Christ and in the life of, of Jesus in the body of Christ. And yet this morning, I won't get into a deep theology of the Holy Spirit. I might not even hit too deeply on some of the, like, the hard topics that are built within this, in this passage because I'm going to follow Luke in this. And Luke doesn't give us a, a theology of the Holy Spirit. He tells a Holy Spirit story. And so this morning, we're going to look at a Holy Spirit story, hoping that we might have our own Holy Spirit story to tell, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe in the, the days and, and weeks ahead. And so in order to look at Luke's story here about the Holy Spirit, we actually have to look back and understand what was taking place just, just moments, not 
literally, but just moments before in our, in our scripture where last week when Pastor Olivia was, was preaching and, and sharing out of the end of Luke chapter 1, we saw that, that all of the disciples, now this was, according to Luke, around 120 people, both men and women that were gathered together and they were constantly praying. They were just up in what we call the upper room, just constantly praying. And I think sometimes we're just quick to jump over that, but, but Luke doesn't just jump over the fact that there were 120 men and women gathered together constantly praying, that their default in a moment of uncertainty was to pause and to pray, was to wait and to pray, to do what Jesus had instructed them to do and to do that obediently. And so they're, they're waiting in there and they're praying. This was their default. I don't know if you remember, but about well, I'm not going to try to count, but in May, we went through a whole series on the practice of prayer. And we're going to talk about prayer in this series as we make our way through Acts because it will come up time and, and time again. And, but I wonder if, as, if we begin, as we begin this series, if it's not worth a revisit of those prayer practices, talking to God, talking with God, listening to God, and just simply being with God. Those would be practices that would be worth a visit, worth a, a return to, worth uh, coming back to in, in these days and as we continue to move forward. But as they were waiting and as they were praying constantly for what Jesus had promised would, would happen, we saw that they actually took a pause, and Pastor Olivia talked about this last week, where they, they actually focused on this, this gap that was left by Judas. And, and we learned last week just how they kind of, how that played out and how they processed it and how they actually made a decision when they didn't really know what to do. And man, if you weren't here last week, let me encourage you to go back and listen to that message that Pastor Olivia gave. It was, it was filled with, with notes that can be taken, things that can be learned in a passage that I often have questions like, why, why would you even replace Judas? But there's a lot to be learned in that space. And what's interesting is, is at the end of, of Luke chapter 1, like they, they replace Judas with Matthias, and then it just jumps straight into the story of Pentecost that we read today. Now, we see that there's a chapter break in there, but, but Luke wasn't writing chapter breaks. He didn't put chapter 2 in there. He didn't add that in. He just was continuing in the story. For him, it was important to tell the story, the story in a certain way, and he did it with intention. So as soon as they finished talking about the addition of Matthias, they jumped right into when he says, and then on the day of Pentecost. Now, for most of us, when we hear on the day of Pentecost, we think about the day that we're describing right here in Luke chapter 2, right? When the, when the Holy Spirit comes in and there's wind and there's fire and there's tongues and languages and all these things that are happening, like that's, that's Pentecost. But what we talked about a, a few weeks ago is that there's a backstory to Luke's story. And the backstory to Luke's story is this long story of God. And the long story of God in, includes these festivals, uh, Passover and, and Pentecost and, and the festival of tabernacles, where all of the Jewish people, were, as Luke describes, from every nation under heaven would, would make their way back to Jerusalem if they were able. And they would come back to Jerusalem to, to celebrate like what God was done and to remember the story of God together. And so, so when Luke says that on the day of Pentecost, he's talking about this, this Jewish holiday, this Jewish festival, when all of these people are returning back to Jerusalem to celebrate and to remember the story of God. Now, one thing to maybe know, or I didn't totally realize this until I was studying, is that I just thought these were all people that were all kind of coming from the same area. But all of these Jewish people, they were coming from like 
all the nations under heaven, as, as Luke described it. He was intentional to say that because these were Jews that had been kind of split up and, and dispersed as like post-Babylonian exile. They just found themselves in, in different places. Some of them went back to Jerusalem, but some of them just stayed where they were, but, but they were still had this Jewish heritage. This was still part of their tradition. This was still part of their story. So they made their way back to Jerusalem, but they, but they lived in a different culture and they spoke a, a different language and they were coming from a different place, but they were all coming back to this story of God, to this place of God in Jerusalem. So Luke says, when the day of Pentecost came, he goes on and says, they were together in the same place. Now again, this is intentional. Luke points this out, that he uses the word they, and he's talking about this 120 people that were gathered together, praying constantly. Again, men and women, all the disciples and all of the people that were following Jesus there, they were there together in this space, gathered obediently in prayer with this expectancy, united in a moment when they could have been confused, in a moment of uncertainty, in a moment when they easily could have been divided. And what we're going to see in in this and what we're going to see throughout the story of Acts is that the story that Luke tells is, is extremely inclusive. That, he's going to be, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to be reaching out to, to all people. That the, the grace of God is going to be available to all people. That the spirit of God will, will come upon all people that will receive the good news of, of Jesus. For the Holy Spirit, there is no category of people that are going to be left out. We see this here and we'll see this throughout the story of Acts. And it's important for us to notice that because... We want to be people of this story. We want to be people of the the Jesus story. And Jesus is a person who did not leave people out. Now, as as Luke describes it, he says they were, it was on the day of Pentecost, they were all gathered into one space. And this is the moment when Luke says that that all heaven breaks loose. He says that at this moment, see what I did there? Some of you got it. He says that suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now here in this moment, Luke is is capturing a a picture of what was happening in this this room, in this space. It's kind of debated whether or not they were still in the upper room. There's 120 of them, so it would have been a really big room, but but maybe they were outside. But they were all gathered together in in prayer, in anticipation, and he's capturing these moments, and he's trying to retell the moments. And so as, as Luke tells it, I have no doubt that what they saw and what they experienced was this this violent wind, was these... Uh, tongues of, of fire that, that he describes. But, but what I also know is that when I read in, in the Old Testament of, of our scriptures is that those two images, wind and fire, they had significant meaning when it, talk, when it was related to God, that those were, were images and metaphors that pointed to the power, to the presence, to the purposes of God. In fact, when we look at at the word spirit, which the word is translated spirit in both Old and New Testament, we see it in English as spirit. The word that is often translated out of that in Hebrew is the word ruach, and in uh, the Greek, it's it's the word pneuma. And both of these words, they could also easily be translated wind or breath. Now, there's a ton that could be said about that. You can you can look back at the beginning when when God breathed into humanity. 
right, and, and gave the, the breath of God, like the spirit of God, this, this wind that animated and filled humanity and continued to. And we see that, that happening throughout the, the story of God. And yet in this moment, Luke is using that metaphor, that image of, of wind, like filling in this space and filling in these people to show that the, that the breath of God was entering into this part of the story. And he uses the image of fire. In fact, I was just reading in, in Exodus chapter 40 earlier this, this week, and it's just in my own devotional time, and it was just kind of the end of like just the building of the tabernacle. I don't know if you've read through those chapters. It gets kind of boring, to be honest. Like They're just talking about cloth and gold-plated this and all the instruments, and it's great, but then they kind of start repeating themselves. But, but at the end, it talks about how this, this cloud falls upon the tabernacle. And there is this cloud by day and this pillar of fire by night so that the Israelites knew when the presence of God, when the power of God, when this personal God was entering into this space, they knew because there was a cloud there by day and there was a pillar of fire there by night. They knew that the presence of God was in that place. And if you read the story, you also know that when, the, when those things lifted, when the, the cloud left and the, the pillar of fire left, they knew now it's time to move. That God is telling us it's time to move. It's a great part of the story. But these are, these are significant images that, that Luke is being intentional for us to, to see and intentional for us to understand. Right before he says this, he says, Then all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, again, it, it's worth noting that, that all of them were filled and enabled with the Holy Spirit. Not just the disciples, not just the, the special ones, not just anyone who is elevated, but everyone. The Holy Spirit doesn't distinguish based on our human categories, as we've seen before, only on the heart. Now, usually when we think of uh, speaking in tongues, when we think of, uh, we think of maybe this gift of like a prayer language, as some would call it, or just this speaking in tongues that Paul talks about in, in 1 Corinthians. And and this morning, we won't really dive into that topic. I know maybe you're like, oh, dang it. Well, maybe we'll get there eventually. But the reason we won't talk about that topic is because the, this is a different experience that Luke is describing. When he says that when he says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them, he said they, he's, the word tongue is just like you would say another language. He just, they were speaking in another language that was not their own language. It was not their known language. But this miraculous gift of being able to speak a language that others would be able to understand. It was, it was a gift that was not for them. It was not for their, like a connection between them and God. It was a gift that enabled them to speak the wonders of God. The, the truth of God to, to those that were nearby, those who were coming from all of these 12 to 15 different nations and, and regions and, and cultures and, and contexts and so that they would be able to, to understand what was taking place. It's, I like how Trevor Hudson um, describes this. He says, it, it's an experience of distinct connection between those who might otherwise be divided by race, gender, age, or nation through language, through connection. Like this was a, a powerful and miraculous move of, of the Holy Spirit, but it, it had a, a real intentional purpose to connect people, to connect them to, together and to connect them with the wonders of God. 
you know, as Luke describes it, he says that they, would, they were proclaiming the, the wonders of God in all of these languages that the other people would hear. And, and those wonders of God were, were not just simply how awesome God is. It's, that certainly was included. And maybe even just some of the, the stories of God. But, but it almost certainly included just the, the, what recently had happened, the, the death and, and the resurrection and the ascension of, of Jesus Christ himself. These would have been some of the wonders of God that would have been included in, in what they were proclaiming and what they were saying in this moment. Now, I also find it interesting that when we speak about tongues in the church, we often, it can often feel like this kind of hot topic, this, I don't know, depending on the tradition that you grew up, it could be like the, like the, the topic to talk about or the topic to not talk about, and so then you, no one knows what to talk about. And, but Luke doesn't shy away from it because he's just pointing out what's, what's taking place. What's interesting, though, is, is that in most of the churches that I've been is that where speaking in tongues or a prayer language of, of tongues is maybe a hot topic. Like this, this gift and this miracle that, that Luke is describing is rarely talked about. This gift of, of tongue, this gift of, of language, this gift of communication. In this devotional that I was reading by um, Trevor Hudson, he goes on and, and actually says this about it. He says, we yearn to communicate the good news of God's never giving up love in a way that others will understand. That communication means so much more than just getting across some information about Jesus to someone else. Instead, it involves us in the miracle of communication, whereby the Holy Spirit makes known through and beyond our words the reality of Jesus to the people we are with. This miracle echoes the experience of the early disciples from that first Pentecost. Now, I don't know about you, but I only speak one language. I'm sure there's a few of you that maybe speak two, maybe even three. I, but when we would go to Rwanda and we visit our Rwandan friends there, like three is the minimum. Like everybody, that, all my Rwandan friends, like three languages is their minimum. And then there's some that are speaking four and, and five. And I don't think they realize how foolish I look and sound when I can barely speak English to them. And, and they're like speaking three, four, five languages to me. And, and I, would love to, I would love to learn another language. I've taken some Spanish. I know some Kina Rwanda, but I don't, I don't like have a grasp on the, a new language. But I would love to learn one. But even more than that, even more than that, I would love like this gift that we see on display in, in Acts chapter 2. This gift of, of language. This gift of tongue. This gift of communication. Uh, Trevor Hudson finishes off in this devotion that I was reading. He says this, and, I, and this is where I found myself as I was reading. He says, I long for this gift. I long to be able to communicate the availability of Jesus' love, grace, and mercy in the tongues of those around me, in the tongues of teenagers and retirees and all those in between, in the tongues of the beaten and the broken and the battered, in the tongues of the rich and the famous and the privileged, in the tongues of the overemployed and the unemployed and the underemployed, in the tongues of the lonely and the rejected and the ostracized, in the tongues of the sick and the bereaved and the dying. The opportunity to share Christ is, is endless. You see, this is, this is what's taking place in, in this moment when this spirit-fueled movement just begins to spill out into the streets of Jerusalem. 
and it causes a commotion, and, and rightfully so. Like, like this would be, I mean, it's 100, 120 people that are, that are yelling and proclaiming the, the praises of God in, in a variety of languages that, that people start hearing and, and just see this commotion and start moving towards it. And as they do, they begin hearing their own language. And they look at them and like, those are, those are Galileans. I can tell that, that that guy and that gal, like those are, those are Galileans. I don't know how they tell. Maybe... Maybe they wore like a certain kind of scarf. I have no idea. But, but clearly they, they could tell the difference. But they heard the wonders of God. They heard like the, even maybe the, some of the good news of, of Jesus in their own language as they started moving towards this, moving towards this commotion. And as Luke tells it, it, it left them bewildered. It left them perplexed. But also left them amazed and astonished. And again, asking that question, what does this mean? Now, I realize that this isn't probably the, the exact same thing, but as I was reading through these first handful of verses in, in Acts chapter 2, I was reminded of the, the revival that took place on uh, Asbury University's campus in February. I wasn't there, obviously. But I, I was, I've read about it, and I, I kind of followed along you know, via social media or, or online or whatever during the, the 16 days that it took place. And, and I came across a video recently that just shares some about that. And I, it's just a little over three minutes. I just wanted to share that with you this morning. So we're going to put that up here and, and watch that. That afternoon I had to teach class at one o'clock and I remember commencing class and a couple of students were awfully distracted. You could tell that they didn't want to be there. At 1.30 p.m. halfway through class, four students barged into my classroom unannounced, a sweat running down their face, which I found out later was actually tears, and they declared very loudly, Prof Rob, you have to go to Hughes Auditorium now. Revival is breaking. It was a little bit too much to take in on first sight. One, because it seemed so ordinary and basic, but at the same time it seemed so pure. The worship that we experienced was not polished. It had no tech behind it. In fact, a lot of the worship leaders were identified uh, simply prophetically. They were just invited out of the prompting of the Spirit. We didn't really know their level of talent, but it was as pure as it could be. It was all back to like the origins and it was like, it was scripture and it was prayer. You just heard stories upon stories, people just didn't want to leave. We are so programmed and planned that we don't give any waiting to God. We're beholding Jesus and only Jesus. There was this, this theology of lingering that began to develop. They're the ones who were sensitive enough to say, something's different, we're gonna stay. It began to snowball and then students that were still like clenching their teeth and holding on, didn't want to be there but couldn't get away, eventually broke. They began to share their stories. I mean, there was a spirit of forgiveness, a spirit of like turning towards one another. It was repentance, it was confession, it was at the altar desiring more of Jesus. I've never known repentance to feel so compelling, the kindness of God leading to repentance. And people were surprised, like think that they're coming to experience some sort of awesome revival and find themselves in repentance. It's just like it takes your breath away. And like that's our God, the awe and the wonder. It was this 
irresistible invitation out of the hearts of these Gen Z leaders into actually what you were created for. Real given over a life for God. That's what yeah. we want to see. So much of what has happened in Wilmore, Kentucky is not for Wilmore, Kentucky. It's not for Asbury. It's for the world. Now's the time for just a consecrated life, a life of contending, travailing, crying out, and really just radically trusting God. And so I encourage, I urge, I compel my sisters and brothers, church leaders, if there's one thing that you can do, get down on your knees and pray. Believe in the power of prayer. The Lord hears us. Outpourings do occur today. It could actually shift the landscape of the society, like it did for these tens of thousands of people walking into Hughes Auditorium, that it could be for, for each of our churches. certainly go and, and find out more. This Apparently they're putting together all sorts of, of stories of, of what took place at, at Hughes Auditorium in, in those days. And, but here's the, the question that maybe I would want to, um, to ask us this morning. Because it was interesting as I kind of watched and, and followed along again from, from a distance. I, I noticed just even online that there were like two different ways that people would respond. And to be honest, they're very similar to the ways that we see people who responded in, in, on Pentecost with the story that Luke tell, tells in Acts chapter 2. They responded with, one, either curiosity, or two, they, they responded by discounting it. Like those who responded out of curiosity, like they were asking the question, like, what does this mean? They were perplexed, but they were also amazed. And, and uh, you know, at Asbury, there were like people flocked to that place. They wanted to find out what was going on. They wanted to experience it. They wanted to be a part of it. They were, they were curious. But then there were a number of people that, that just discounted it. They were like, oh, these are, just, these are just college students. This is just a moment. This, this too shall pass. And, and just like the people on, on Pentecost, like, oh, they're just drunk. Like, this, this, is, just, this is just weird. Whatever's happening, it's, it's just, they just discounted it. And I guess my question, that, that this is the question that I had to ask myself when I was praying through some of this and just and thinking about it, it's like, like, what would my response be? What, which way do I tend? Do I tend towards curiosity or do I tend towards, towards discounting? Now, for me, I, I grew up in, in a tradition, a church tradition that was not very charismatic at all. And, and so as, as I have had opportunities to, to experience, like, like spirit-moved experiences, both for other people and, and for myself, I... I've had a tendency to, to land more on the, on the discounting side. Like I, just, I, just, I wasn't sure. I, I didn't know that it was a, an experience that was outside of my comfort zone, and it was a, an experience that was not my experience. And so I, I don't know. And so maybe, I wouldn't maybe mock it, but I also wouldn't claim it. But what I've found myself moving towards as I've continued to follow Jesus and continue in the, my journey with Jesus is, is I found the value in moving towards curiosity the value of, of lingering, 
the value of, of listening, the value of asking questions, the value of, of learning from like trusted women and men who, who have and have had experiences who have followed Jesus in ways that, that I haven't. And, and it doesn't mean that I just you know, follow every, every wind that, that blows, but it, I am growing in, in my understanding of, of who Jesus is and what it looks like for me to follow him and what it looks like for me to experience the, the Holy Spirit. And that starts by moving more towards curiosity and maybe less towards just an automatic discount. I recently read a, a devotion by a guy named J.D. Walt where he was just kind of giving some what he called like these rules of engagement when you, with a spiritual experience that's out of your comfort zone, that a spiritual experience that's not your experience. And he gave kind of four ways to approach it. He says, never make fun, never belittle or mock another's experience of the Holy Spirit. He also says, resist the urge to become a spiritual thrill seeker. And it basically saying, like, don't, don't seek the, the, like the experience, but seek the Spirit himself. He says, live a, a scripture-saturated life. And then he says, suspend your initial need to make a snap judgment, maybe to discount. Lean into the possibilities and instead ask the question of true spiritual discernment. What does this mean? And I find myself at this point, honestly, longing to know and experience more of Jesus, more of, of his power, more of his personal presence, more of of his purpose, more of, of his spirit. And honestly, that's my, my hope and desire, not just for me, but, but for us as, as a family, that we would have this desire to, to know and experience Jesus more, his, his power, his, his presence, and his purpose in our lives. But the word that I felt, or maybe the sentence that I thought was most significant in that video was the, the little statement that, Prof. Rob, I think was that his name was, kind of said kind of near the end. He said, so much of what has happened in Wilmore, so much of what is happening here at Asbury is not, in Asbury is not meant for Asbury. It's not meant for Wilmore. It's, it's meant for the world. I felt like that was extremely significant because I think the tendency would be for us to think that this, the power, the presence, and the purpose is just simply for, to make me better, to make me good, to make me whatever. But what we'll see in, in the book of Acts is that the power and the personal presence of Jesus is for a purpose that's, that's beyond ourselves, that moves out beyond, like, as Jesus said, from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. You see, Pentecost was the moment that Jesus had promised his followers it was the moment that they had been waiting for, for 10 days, but I believe it was the moment that they had been waiting for for a long, long time because this was the moment that, that the prophet Joel had prophesied about, that Peter read from, from or he probably just recited to them, when the Holy Spirit would pour out and ignite and fuel the followers of Jesus. This is what Jesus had said. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. But I think for me, and I think for us, one thing we have to remember is that this was not just like a one-time moment in history. Like the Holy Spirit just showed up here at, at Pentecost. Fantastic. Let's, let's tell the story. Let's retell the story. But this was never meant to be just a moment in history. It was always intended to be an ongoing movement. 
And this was just the start. This was the, the epicenter from which the, the good news of Jesus, the good news about the kingdom of God, the, the power, the presence, and the purpose of Jesus would, would start and, and move out from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria, into the ends of the earth. And here's the thing, is that for us to remember is that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is still igniting and fueling movements today. Like he's still igniting and fueling movements, both internal movements and external movements. He's, he's fueling internal movements like in us, within our hearts, our souls, and our minds, helping us to, to become more like Jesus, to become sanctified, to become like more holy as, as he is holy. Like there's internal movements of the spirit that are taking place even right now. But there are also external movements where he's moving our hands and, and our feet and, and, and our body and, and like the body of Christ. He is causing us to move and, and to go and to participate in what he's doing in, in the world around, me, the, around us. The Holy Spirit is, is continuing to ignite and fuel movements. And this is what we're going to see throughout the story of Acts. These, these spirit-ignited and spirit-fueled movements of, of these followers of Jesus and Luke is just going to tell us and take us along in this story. And to be honest, like this is, this is what I'm praying for for us right now. This is what, what, as I pray each week, and I know we've been talking about fasting regularly and this idea that we can actually fast for something. Like one of the things that I'm fasting for when I'm praying and fasting is that, is that the Holy Spirit would be igniting and fueling these internal and external movements in us in and through us, the church. Like not, the, not this gathering necessarily and not like any sort of building or, or location, but the church as the, the presence of Jesus in the people of God for the sake of the world. Like those are the things that I find myself praying for now, knowing that like this, the, whole, the Pentecost can, can happen again, that the spirit can move and ignite movement again. Am I, am I ready? Am I waiting Am I praying? Am I seeking? Am I moving towards? Am, am I leaning in and, and listening and learning and all of these things? That's the invitation for us as we continue in this story, as Luke continues to lead us through this, this story of Jesus that continues through the Jesus followers. And we get to be a part of that. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit, we are grateful um, for a number of things this morning. But I think the, the thing that I'm most grateful for is, is this story, this continued story of, of Jesus, how you are, are moving, and the invitation to be a part of it. Lord, this morning we, we read about how your Holy Spirit filled a room and, and filled 120 believers, Lord, 120 people who had chosen to give their lives to you, 120 people who had chosen to follow you. And in the days ahead, we're going to read about how the... the that group just, just multiplies as the, the word of God and, and the story of God and the good news about Jesus is told and shared and lived and breathed. And so, Holy Spirit, we would just ask that you would move in us today internally, continue to, to change and transform the, the interior of our heart, that we might be moved into a movement of external nature, that we might see our, our hands and, and our feet and our mouths and our body move according to your good purposes, according to your good plans, out of obedience to your word. Jesus, we, we just want to, 
to know you more. We want to, to love you more. We want to follow you more. And we want to live you more. And may you enable us by your spirit to do that today and in the days ahead. In your name we pray. Amen.